Hey guys, today on Behind the Plinth, we've got uh, Courtney Finlay, physiotherapist, and we've got Lachlan Ma, exercise physiologist. <laughs> so basically, with our interviews, we're going to give them a question and we're going to see how each profession would deal with this injury um, or rehab or whatever kind of condition I'm throwing at them. So how will they uh, treat or rehab a rotator cuff tear? I'll hand over to you, Court. All right, thank you, Bridge. Welcome everyone, I guess, to Behind <laughs> the Plinth, our new podcast series that we're starting. So I guess the aim of this podcast series is just to kind of delve into a couple of different sort of musculoskeletal injuries and things like that. There's lots of things out there on the internet these days, like do you get surgery? Where do you go? Where do you turn to? So we're here today just to give you a little bit of information about a very common shoulder pathology that we see in the clinic all the time. A rotator cuff tear. What about you? Do, you? do you have many shoulders in the gym at the moment? Um, I've got a couple. A couple that are rotator cuff tears, others that are different shoulder injuries. Yep. Um, most of them, however, I get from you guys after first treatment. So. Yes. We are very lucky here at Vector because we have both physiotherapy and exercise physiology in-house. So it is quite a nice sort of internal streamlined process that quite often a rotator cuff pathology will come to physio first, we'll do sort of a fair bit of intervention there which we'll delve a little bit into and then sort of once they're 80% better, their movement is sort of coming back in their shoulder, they're reducing in pain and then they just need to progress through to some more strengthening, we can get them out in the gym with these guys. So works out really well. So rotator cuff. Um, Lots of people probably don't know that your rotator cuff itself is made up of four different muscles. So we have the supraspinatus, the infraspinatus, the teres minor, and the subscapularis. If you've had some sort of shoulder injury in the past, those names might ring a bell to you. Yeah. Britt will also pop a little bit, a uh, little photo up on the screen there at the moment for you as well, just so that you can have like a visual of what those muscles look like. So cool. <clears throat> yeah, hit me. What do, what do each of those muscles do? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> So the first muscle of our rotator cuff complex, that supraspinatus, sits over the back of our shoulder blade right at the very top there. And its job, as you can see on the screen, is to elevate the shoulder joint sort of out to the side. Um, the second muscle straight underneath that, the infraspinatus, infra meaning underneath. All of these muscles have Latin terms, so we love that. And its job as well is to externally rotate the shoulder, okay? Next one is a little bit of a smaller muscle that sits underneath that again, our teres minor. Um, it, its job is also to externally rotate the shoulder joint. And lastly, sort of on the underneath side of our shoulder blade, we have our subscapularis and it allows our humerus to move freely sort of in elevation as well. So with all of those muscles, they sort of start at the back of our shoulder there and they sort of come around and they connect onto the outside of our shoulder. So some people say that that's like the spot where a police officer's badge is shown. So some people may ask you where that police officer badge might be shown on the outside of your arm there, do you experience any pain there? And so that's their, that's their attachment point, that's their insertion. So that can be one of the points where those muscles come to attach at the bone. Um, might be sore there as well. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so with these rotator cuff tears, you're probably wondering sort of how they can pop up and there's sort of a range of different sort of reasons that you might sort of end up with a rotator cuff tear, um, including sort of degenerative changes. So as you get a little bit older, 
the, the quality of your muscle fibers sort of isn't quite as strong and so there can be a little bit of a tear that is caused not really through anything at all. So we call that like an atraumatic injury because there hasn't been any trauma to the joint. Um, otherwise, lots of repetitive sort of micro trauma. So if you're in a job uh, where you're doing a, a movement lots of times, so we find quite often diesel fitters, um, what other what other jobs? Like anytime people are using their arms above truck, their head. Truck drivers quite common. Truckies at the steering reaching wheel. Reaching back for the controls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, lots of guys in like the mines on big sort of heavy equipment that they're lifting um, and things like that. That pops up quite a lot. Otherwise, of course, there is sort of a more traumatic injury. So potentially like a, a fall on an outstretched arm or a fall where you have like a direct blow to your shoulder. Probably other things might pop up there as well, other than just a rotator cuff tear, yeah. but that is also quite likely as well. Um, and then just sort of secondary dysfunctions as well. So in terms of injuring this muscle cord, what mm -hmm. kind of tears are there? Yeah, so there's a few different ways that we sort of classify what um, a rotator cuff tear, like how bad it is potentially. Um, and so it, it kind of depends on the severity of the tendon fiber disruption. And so that communication that there is between the subacromial space and the glenohumeral space as well. So we can have a partial tear, which is where that rotator cuff sort of muscle is damaged, but not completely sort of severed in half. Then of course we have a complete tear where there is a sort of complete sort of rupture um, between the two separate pieces. Um, then an acute tear, like we mentioned just before, is some sort of injury or trauma that has happened. And then lastly is that degenerative tear that we spoke about that is quite sort of common in an aging population, 40 plus onwards, we kind of start to see those degenerative tears that pop up. On that, so we've got a study here. Yeah. Um, this You might find this quite interesting and you might be able to relate to this with the people you see. Um, but it says here that full thickness rotator cuff tears are present in approximately 25% of individuals in their 60s and then more than 50% for those in their 80s. So suggesting here that it's got high occurrence for those above 60 and on. Yeah, definitely. And that's what we most commonly see in the clinic as well is a, a couple of those ones that sort of pop up in that sort of 40 or less is there is some sort of overuse or traumatic injury that's taken place. But it is more so like that 60 plus age group and they'll just kind of um, report nothing, nothing specifically, no specific movement that they can think of, but just sort of over a couple of months or so it's been manageable and then it sort of starts to get a little bit worse to the point where it's not really manageable anymore. They're starting to lose function in their arm and they're starting to struggle with sort of day-to-day -day activities as well. So that's when they sort of come to us. Yeah. yeah. Mm. How do you usually start like the treatment? Yeah, so even what I might even just touch on quickly while we're here is sort of what um, symptoms like that people might present with if they, um, if we sort of suspect like a rotator cuff injury at all. So people tend to report um, if it is traumatic, of course, like uh, some sort of pain like in the shoulder region at the time of the injury. Otherwise, um, other things such as like sort of pain at night, night pain is a really good indication of some sort of um, muscle involvement, whether it be a partial or full thickness tear, um, weakness involved with the muscles around the shoulder joint that they're struggling to sort of lift things or even 
um, stacking dishes in and out of the dishwasher, um, anything just day to day like that starts to become a little bit more of a struggle. Pain with overhead activities and we find they sort of start to lose like the range and the, the movement that they have in their shoulder um, and then sort of stiffness through that joint as well. So court? Yeah. Let's say you got little Johnny coming in. Yep. He's about 45 years old and he's coming in with complaints of pain around that police badge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't have any scans or anything, not much background info. Yep. Where do you, where do you start? Yep, all right. So um, going into sort of that subjective history again, we sort of find out if there's any particular movement or any like thing associated with his pain, um, any night pain. Um, any sort of referral that's coming down the arm as well. Um, that, and then we sort of can delve into a little bit more of like an objective assessment where we start to sort of um, work through a few different movements. So we have a look at the range of motion in their shoulder in all the directions. So up above your head, out to the side like your bird wings, coming into sort of your rotational movements through your shoulder as well. And just having a look and measuring the, the degrees of motion that they have through there because there's sort of normative values that they need to be hitting to have full range. Um, and then also just testing their strength as well. Um, in physio, we also have like a range of special tests that we can use that sort of help differentiate what sort of muscles might be compromised or injured. Um, so yeah, range of special tests that we can use um, as we spoke about with those four rotator cuff muscles before. Um, what we do find with the special tests though, that they aren't sort of the gold standard really. Um, special tests are great to be able to put um, like muscles on stretch, to compress, to compromise structures and things like that and to pro provoke pain is, is hopefully that gives us a little bit of information. Um, but as you sort of learnt before, the movements that are associated with all four of those rotator cuff muscles, they all work together and in unison a fair bit. So it is really hard for those tests to be able to differentiate exactly which of the four muscles might be injured. Sometimes there could be sort of a partial sort of tear to a couple. It's not always just one muscle in isolation that we're looking at. Um, so after we have a look at a bit of an objective assessment, we've seen how their shoulders are moving, what's painful and things like that. We're also checking the neck as well to make sure that they have sort of full range of mo movement through their neck as well, because occasionally there can be some shoulder pathologies that are actually originating sort of from the spine and referring down to their neck region as well. So it's really important that we're clearing the neck to make sure that there's no involvement from there as well. Um, from there, we also sort of look to do like a little bit of an outcome measure. So some sort of questionnaire where they can rate their pain on a scale sort of from zero to 10. And these questionnaires like quite often um, will ask just sort of day-to-day -day skills. What is it like when you brush your hair? Zero to 10 pain, what's it like dressing? Um, and things like that. Because quite often just those simple movements for someone with a rotator cuff tear are quite painful. So it's a really good way to sort of gauge how difficult those sort of day-to-day -day tasks are for that patient. And then after we start sort of doing treatment, we can look to reevaluate that questionnaire later on, get them to fill it out again, and hopefully we're seeing like an improvement in those things for them as well. All right, so when we sort of start treating a rotator cuff tear, as we spoke about, we, they're going to be 
limited by pain and sort of their range of motion is going to be limited as well. So what people respond really well to early on is some sort of therapeutic interventions such as massage is a big one. They're always really tight through all of those muscles in the rotator cuff, through the back of their shoulder, through their traps, their rhomboids. Um, and even through the front, they start to become really tight through their pec and through their bicep as well because there's lots of other muscles that are sort of compensating and working a little bit harder when there is sort of an injury at play. So definitely hands-on therapy and sort of massage is where we would begin as well. People quite often find that that relieves their pain and improves like their range of movement as well. So the first four to six weeks, there's usually some sort of hands-on component in, in most of the sessions just to help bring that stiffness down throughout the shoulder capsule as well. And then the next thing that we look to is where these guys come in is with the exercise as well. So when we are still with them in the room, they're quite stiff and we start to get some broomstick movements happening to help increase their shoulder movement. And so we call that active assisted range of movement. Um, and then we start like some strengthening stuff as well. So, Lockie, what's, what's your go-to? Where do you start with your Ooh, rotator cuff strengthening? That's a great question. Um, there's probably never an exact go-to. Everyone's a little different. Mm. Thankfully for me, I have these wonderful guys that have usually done all these tests and outcome measures. So for me, I yeah, quite often get this patient and I already know what's going on. Um, Where the deficits lie. Exactly. We, we do all the hard work for them. Pretty no, much. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, so the main thing, whether I already know this information or not, my job's kind of to identify what movement restrictions they have. So where can they move? Where can they move to? What can't they do in mm. terms of movement? Um, and then also what's painful and what is not. So for example, quite commonly with your rotator cuff tears, let's say it's someone that's torn at reaching back, they'll be quite limited in moving their arm outwards with rotation, but also potentially um, lifting their arm up to the side. So for me, I know that exercises doing that movement or in that plane are going to be quite tricky and potentially painful depending on where they are in their stage of rehab. Mm, mm. Um, so given this, we'll, we'll follow along this line of thought. Um, usually what I start is I start at the beginning with what we call isometric exercises. Um, and so pretty much that would be just holding in a position. So let's say I've got my arm against a wall, I'm holding, pushing my hand in, into the wall and that's working those rotator cuff muscles that have been impacted from the injury. Um, so by starting nice and light like that, it allows the muscles to kind of strengthen in a nice, mostly pain-free environment. Um, and hopefully what we see over time as the weeks go on court is that we can progress from that, we can push a little harder, and we should also see that improving our uh, mobility yeah. as well. Definitely, that's definitely where you'd start. Like you wouldn't have them with like a dumbbells or hand weights or any sort of resistance bands or anything like that straight up, hey, because it's, it's no. too soon and the, the muscles aren't ready for that yet. No, I find most of them, yeah. even if they tried, they're just in too much pain, but also yeah. don't have the, the movement. Mm. Um, of course, there's definitely. a there's a place for that if we're further down the line. Mm. So let's say, what, it's been a couple of months, they're probably at that stage where they need that adequate loading. Yep, yep, they've regained um, a bit more range. Exactly. They're, they're increasing their pain exactly. levels. Muscles are building the tolerance with the isometric loading that you've given 100%. them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then on the opposite spectrum, there are some that find that even just too challenging and really can't lift their own arm up much at all, mm. in, but it, whether it be in or out, depending on the muscle that they have damaged. Um, but they can 
get more movement with assisted stuff. So this is where you'd probably do a little bit of this in the room as well, yeah. using one of our dowel <laughs> sticks, so our poles, where you can get some uh, assisted movement to get the muscle working through that plane mm. in a bit more of a pain-free way. Yeah, definitely. Find that to be really sort of advantageous early on is doing all of the, what we call that active assisted stuff with the broomstick. So the, the injured sign side, like the arm is, is floppy say, and you're using your sort of your, your good side or your unaffected to sort of drive that movement and to help it along a little bit. So the broomstick is really good. Otherwise I get like a lot of the guys when they're in the shower, the nice warm water's coming over those muscles just to relax them out a little bit and sort of doing wall crawls as well, crawling their fingers up the wall, up the front and up the side and things like that as well. So all of those ways are just really nice, gentle ways to bring back movement in the shoulder, hey? Yeah. So let's think further down the line. Mm, We've yeah. got someone that's a couple months post yep. injury. They've gone through physio. They've gone through the initial stages of like their exercise therapy. Yep. Movements come back. That's it. Yeah. Pain yep. levels are really good. Yeah. Um, for me, exercise-wise, I then start to kind of move away from your really isolated exercises, such as your internal external rotations, your um, abduction, so lifting arm out to the side and up. Um, and I start to move more into your multi-joint movements. Mm. Um, so if you think about it doing like a row or a push, those two movements have those little isolated movements in amongst your different movements as well, using different joints. Mm. So that's where I then start to load those rotator cuff muscles in a bit more of a functional way, trying to target um, the specific tasks that an individual has to do of a day. Mm. Um, I'll go back to the truck driver example. So for him, he's going to have to continually reach like that so what I'll also be looking at is how the shoulder blades move in and around how his rotation is. Mm. So because if we can get him moving better through his actual spine and rotating, means that arm's not going to have to do as much work. Uh, so. But per yeah. perhaps as well, his shoulder blades aren't working as great. They're pretty weak. Yep. Um, so therefore, the arm's going to do more work because we know that the arm and the shoulder blade work together. Mm. So if we get that movement and rhythm going a bit more, he's going to be able to reach further and less likely to re-injure. So that's also one of the main focuses of the exercise therapy I look at is mm. avoiding re-injury. So kind of like your, it's your rehab, but then also a prehab for future injury as well. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's really good. I like that example. And like you said, it is it is very individualized to the person, to their goals, what their return to work looks like and what sort of is involved in their day to day because you'd rehab sort of that truck driver example sort of very differently to how you might rehab maybe like someone that works at Woolies and works yes. at that night fill shift where they're stacking shelves all day. That's a lot of sort of loaded lifting up and away from their body or out and overhead. So very different sort of demands on different muscles required there as well. So yeah, yep. I like that. All right, Ma, got a question for you. Yep. So um, we've kind of delved a little bit more into the conservative side of things today. Have, haven't really sort of touched on the, the surgical approach to a rotator cuff sort of tear too much. What's, what's the difference? What's the evidence saying in terms of the rehab and like the recovery process from that just hands-on physio side yep. versus having some sort of surgical intervention there? Yes, yeah, great question. Hmm. Um, the research definitely varies. Um, obviously, you've got many, many different research pieces out there, some great quality, others low quality. Hmm. Um, the overall consensus is that there's a time and a place for both. So they hmm. both definitely can work well for rehabilitation. Yep. Um, obviously, you'll have, as you know, your, 
your tendon, uh, your, your muscles have been really torn and a bit too far gone mm. in some sense. Um, although that would rehab from a more of a conservative management sort of view mm. would be potentially a bit longer than your surgical. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, they both kind of have similar outcomes. The research is kind of inconclusive as to which one's better, which one's worse. Yeah. Some you might say surgery, others will say exercise and, and conservative management with the physiotherapy and hands-on sort mm. of therapy. Mm. Um, so it really just depends. Um, that there's, I wouldn't say there's one super above the other. No, there. It really depends on the on the individual case and situation. Absolutely, and sort of if they're returning back to a sport soon or needing to get back to work soon or if whatever. Yeah, it looks different for everyone. Hey, but um, like you said, I've I've found sort of a similar thing in, in the research as well. Like a couple of studies that I've been reading recently, kind of have followed people. Um, both groups, a surgical group, a conservative group, at like a one-year follow-up post-injury and a two-year follow-up post-injury. Um, and the, the evidence is very much the same, that they're all sort of reporting sort of lower pain levels, better movement, better sort of outcomes of, and just functional abilities and activities of daily living. So, yeah, there isn't really sort of too much conclusive evidence saying that one is better than the other everyone's situations are different and the degree of tears and the de degree of trauma to that rotator cuff will sort of dictate that as well. But there's definitely yeah, a time and place for both um, and physio and exercise in both regardless is, is really important as well. All right, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you learn a little bit about rotator cuff tears both from a physiotherapy management point of view and more of an exercise physiology. If you do have any questions, feel, uh, please feel free to ask them um, following the link labelled on the plinth down below. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, right. hopefully you guys learned something. Comment below, share it with your friends. And yeah, we'll be back soon with our next segment. <laughs> on Behind the Plinth. On Behind the Plinth. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs>